0: Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent-to-retirement? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high-cash-flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
1: Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. slash pockets carefully consider the investment objectives risks charges and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing this and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at
2: fundrisecom
1: flagship this is a paid advertisement
2: the dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting from finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest day with vacasa they make that dream into a reality If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to On the Market. I'm your host Dave Meyer, joined today by the birthday boy Jamil Damji. Happy birthday, man!
3: Thank you, man. It was uh, um, 44. 44. Wow. I know it's uh, it, it it. Where's the time going? How do you feel? 44. <laughs> Does that feel old? Young? It, I mean, it, it, feel it like... feels. It feels. Uh. It feels good, honestly. You know, uh, it's been. A, it's been a crazy year. Lots has happened. Um, you know, with the real estate market and and just life in general, but I'm grateful for all of it and super excited about this conversation uh, with Rick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have you have the energy of a person half your age, so I think you're you're doing pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, this this conversation is great. Uh, Rick Jamil, we interviewed him, what, like. June
3: or July, probably. Yeah, right. Like right before the the other shoe dropped in the real estate market, and you know it was an interesting conversation. And and I I gotta say, it, probably my favorite episode of the entire year talking to Rick because you get a real insight into what's happening based on the numbers, not based on emotion, not based on jargon or sensationalism, just data. And and it's and it's always. Important to pay attention to what the numbers are saying versus what the people who are trying to sell stories are saying.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I I think he he's not dry at all. Like he's very entertaining. He's fun to talk to, but he's just not emotional about it, which I think is really important and nice that he just provides this sort of unbiased, objective analysis of what's going on in the market and. Uh, We we cover everything in this interview. We're talking about foreclosures, mortgage rates, the U.S. economy, everything you can imagine. So this show is our first show of the year. So if you want to get a head start on what's going to happen in 2023 and what to be looking for over the course of this year, you're going to really enjoy this episode because Rick provides some really accurate and objective information that's going to be really actionable for you. Agreed. Take notes, guys. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and then welcome on Rick Sharga, the Executive Vice President of Market Intelligence for Atom Data.
4: Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com. bp
2: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Rick Sharga, welcome back to On The Market. Thanks for joining us again.
5: Thanks for having me back. I guess the first time wasn't all that bad.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. You are you are very insightful. It's actually one of our most popular shows ever. You, d- you did an excellent job, and we're excited to have you back again.
3: Appreciate that. I feel like after talking to Rick for any amount of time, you you actually leave that conversation substantially smarter. So thank you for helping all of us raise our IQs today. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I,
5: I was really pleased that Adam... Uh, gave me the title of, of EVP of Market Intelligence because it's the first time in my career anybody has used intelligence in the same sentence with my name. So it, it's always, <laughs> always always a pleasure.
1: That was very clever of you to uh, <laughs> to orchestrate that. Well, Rick, the last time we had you on was over the summer, and we were sort of reaching the peak of the housing market frenzy, at least in terms of sales price. Things have changed a lot over the last couple of months. And we would love to just start with your summary or thoughts about what's happened over the second half of 2022 in the national housing market. Well,
5: last time we talked, you probably remember uh, we were we were discussing the fact that we'd started to see a little bit of, of evidence of demand weakening. Uh, that actually started back at the beginning of the year, and, and it was really related to affordability because home prices were still going up 15%, 20% on a, a year-over-year basis um, when the Federal Reserve decided to to roll up its sleeves and actually address inflation uh, by by putting together a series of unprecedented hikes in the Fed funds rate, that really roiled the, the mortgage markets. And we saw mortgage rates double. Uh, according to Freddie Mac, that's the first time that's ever happened in a calendar year. We've never seen mortgage rates actually double in a calendar year before. And that's just cratered affordability. So we we've seen um we've seen month over month uh, home sales go down in both uh, new homes and existing homes uh we're probably going to end this year even though we had a pretty good start and we're going to probably end this year with 15 to 20% fewer home sales than we had a year ago uh we've seen home price appreciation flatline basically uh, we're, we're looking at markets like California, where the, end, the year-over-year increase in prices is now down in the 2 to 3% range, where it had been in double digits earlier in the year. Um, there are parts of the country where we're actually seeing prices decline. Uh, we've seen the last four months in a row where home prices have, have dropped month over month. That's not necessarily unusual this time of the year, but the, the degree of the drop has been has been stronger than usual. But when you think about it, um, the average monthly mortgage payment on a house you would have bought a year ago has gone up depending on where you are in the country from forty five to sixty percent and i don 't know about you guys, but i when I talked to my boss about a forty five to sixty percent raise, he kind of chuckled politely and told me to go back outside and play so it it it's it 's really knocked a lot of prospective home buyers out of the market we 've seen research that indicates that anywhere from 10 to 20% of people who were looking to buy have opted to rent for a while instead. Uh, for your audience, uh, that, that does suggest there might be some opportunities uh, for rental properties, for single-family rental units, because if people were looking to buy a house, it stands to reason they might be interested in renting one instead of an apartment. But um, it, yeah, we're, we're going to end the year pretty much uh, on, on a downward trend uh, that will probably move into next year as well. Although I don't think the, the decline in home sales will be nearly as significant next year as as it was this year. Keep in mind one other, and then I'll stop talking for a while. One, one other thing to keep in mind contextually is that we're coming off uh, home sales in 2021 that were unusually strong. 2021 was not an average year for home sales. It was a way above average year for home sales. So it wouldn't have been a surprise to see the numbers come back a little bit. Uh, but, but the fifteen to twenty percent drop is is strictly and solely because of actions the Fed has taken and the impact they've had on mortgage rates
3: Rick I you know the last time we spoke it was you know the market was in a completely different spot, and I'm always trying to get an understanding of what may be coming around the corner and you know, I'm in the fix and flip business. I had to write a couple of checks. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and so one of the markets that you're talking about that's going to experience a massive kick in the teeth. Um I'm I got implants in the front here from uh from the from the kick I got. And they they look beautiful by the way. Nobody would ever know. thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um the facts are for us as a as rehabbers, uh things are are not looking um you know really strong right now. Uh on the other side of that, I'm looking for opportunities because I, every time something like this happens, there's opportunities under the surface. And I'm I'm Almost wondering if what we're seeing right now is and i'm I'm coining it the great reprogramming, and this is why okay we've all been so spoiled with these two and three percent mortgages that that were in the market for so long uh, that had a lot of people entering the space and and, and trying to you know enter the housing market a lot of that a lot of those uh, purchasers a lot of those people will never let go of that debt they're going on, on to hang hang onto that house they're going even if they keep it as a rental they're they're not going to reintroduce that product back into the marketplace we've had the fed raise rates in an unprecedented manner like you've described and that has stopped a lot of activities especially in home building right and so we've had builders completely turn the knob in the other direction where they're, 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 holding, they're holding back. So we have this inventory that's gonna get yanked off because of all the cheap debt. We've got builders stopping or slowing down their building. We've seen uh, demand sort of like really level off. And I believe because rates are so high right now, as soon as we start creeping back towards 5%, we're like pulling this elastic band where we're all gonna feel really grateful for a 5.5% mortgage when it comes because when it's sitting where it is right now, as soon as we get reprogrammed into thinking five and a half or 5% is cheap, that's when I think there's gonna be a crazy amount of buyers rushing into the marketplace. And that's why I'm, I feel like it's the great reprogramming. Do you see that coming in 2023? And and is my sort of viewpoint on this out to lunch? No, you're not not
5: out to lunch at all. Uh, the, the problem I'm gonna have answering your question is, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, you, you you basically just brought up about five different themes, um, <laughs> and and they're and they're all they're all relevant. They're all important to the marketplace. So on on the, on the the last question uh, about whether your your theory your thesis is, is something that's out to lunch? No, it, it I, I can lay out a scenario where the market recovers pretty quickly. Um, now everything has to fall in place, but it, it could happen. So first of all, there's still pent up demand. Uh, and, and it's not the kind of goofy speculative demand we saw back in 2008. This is demographically driven. We still have the largest cohort of young adults between the ages of 25 and 34 in the history of the country. Uh, that's prime household formation age. Uh, a lot of them would prefer to own. Uh, they may have to rent short term while they're, they're figuring things out, but they're forming households. That drives demand. Uh, the demand was slowed down significantly because all of a sudden the house you thought you were going to buy, you couldn't afford <clears throat> or you can't qualify for the loan. But but let's, let's unpack affordability first because that drives a lot of purchase activity. There's three legs of the stool when it comes to affordability. The one we've been focused on obsessively for the last few years is home prices. So obviously the, the nominal home price, what the, the price is listed for, is the thing that everybody focuses on, and we're at a new peak. We're we're still at a new peak. That was offset by the second leg of the stool, which was mortgage rates. And historically, low mortgage rates offset those rising home prices. As you mentioned, you're down in the the 2% range for mortgages. That made it possible for people to afford homes, even as home prices were going up. What also made it possible, and this is the leg people most often ignore of the stool, is that wages have been growing. So we've seen unusually strong wage growth for the last couple of years uh, since the government, you know, allowed everybody to go back to work after the pandemic started. Uh, But five to six percent annual increases in in wages. Excuse me. That wasn't keeping up with 15 and 20 percent increases in home prices. But it's actually now two to three times higher than home price appreciation. So let's assume that um, wage growth continues to be about what it is. Let's assume that home prices have plateaued uh, or in some markets are actually coming down a little bit. Um, It's possible that because inflation appears to be heading in the right direction, the Fed can stop being so aggressive with its rate increases, which means that mortgage rates may have peaked this cycle and and will start to come down. So if you have mortgage rates trending down, maybe slowly, but trending down over the course of the year, wages stay strong, home prices have flatlined. Somewhere in 2023, it starts to feel a lot more affordable and you have people start to come back to the market. So I, I don't think your thesis is crazy. Um, the other thing that will, will change the dynamic of buyers is the market always adjusts as home prices go up or as interest rates go up. the problem we had in 2022 was that the the increase in interest rates was so sudden and so severe. So all of a sudden, that million-dollar house, that $500,000 house you were looking at is out of the question, and you have to reset your expectations for a $250,000 house, uh, which you weren't looking at and and which you hadn't even contemplated before. So it, it takes the market a while to adjust. But to your point, if interest rates trickle back down into the fives, you know, maybe now you are not looking at a two hundred fifty thousand dollars house. You are looking at three seventy five or four, and maybe you just need a little bit more time to save for a down payment. So it, it does change the buying dynamic significantly. And and I, I do think you are right. I think, I think the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, the first part of the second quarter, uh, are going to continue to be a little slower than normal, even with the scenario we just outlined. But as you get later in the year, uh, I think I think people will will have been able to adjust. Uh, and, and it will look a little bit more affordable and we'll start to see buying activity come back. So overall, I, I expect 2023 home sales to go down probably not quite 10%, maybe somewhere between 5 and 10% from this year. But I expect the second half of the year to be stronger relative to the, the first half.
1: Rick, I think that's a, a great way of explaining affordability. And to me, what I keep thinking is that the direction of home prices and volume are, to your point, almost entirely contingent on mortgage rates and because of affordability, like you said, right? Like if they, right now, we're we're recording this mid-December. Yesterday, we found out that we had a very encouraging inflation print come out. uh, And we're seeing, you know, I think mortgage rates today were 6.3 on average for a 30-year fix, something like that. If we see it stay around there or lower, in my opinion, people like Jamil said, are going to get used to it and jump back into the market because there's demographic demand. But can you lay out a scenario where mortgage rates do go up? Because I think that is a big question for a lot of people. Like, Is there a scenario where mortgage rates haven't peaked and they go back up to seven or eight percent? Because when I look at Experts, they seem divided. Some people say it's going back to the five. Some people say it's going up to eight. So, can you, even if you don't necessarily think this is going to happen, tell us what scenario would have to unfold for mortgage rates to go up to that up beyond where they were a couple weeks ago when they were in that low sevens?
5: Yeah, there are a couple scenarios. One, the Fed could decide that um, it needs to continue to be aggressive, or at least more aggressive than what the market is expecting, uh, and and that. That sort of uncertainty, that sort of volatility, could could cause rates to go up. One of the things you have to keep in mind is that usually thirty year mortgages are based on the yields of the ten year U S. Treasury, and those two those two rates kind of go hand in hand. And this is kind of inside baseball for probably a lot of your viewers, but but bear with us. Um, Normally, there's a spread of about 150 to 200 basis points, or in English, one and a half to two points. So, if the if the 10 year, if the yield on the ten year treasury is four, uh, a mortgage would typically be five and a half or six percent. Right now, the spread has a hundred extra basis points. So, if we were just in a normal market, mortgage rates would probably be almost a point lower than they are today. So, you'd already be in the fives one of the reasons they're not is because of uncertainty and volatility in the market and the belief that as interest rates come down on mortgages you'll see a ton of these loans that have been taken out since rates rose start to be refinanced which means if you're buying a market, a proper, uh, <laughs> if you're buying a mortgage on the secondary market you're not going to be able to recoup your investment uh it, it that the loan's going to be gone in a year or two so the the pricing model has the secondary market spooked um so the Fed the Fed could continue to raise beyond what people are expecting. Uh right now the, the peak of the Fed funds rate is expected to be somewhere around five percent, five and a quarter percent. If they go beyond that threshold, uh it will clearly drive mortgage rates up. Uh so an inflationary surprise uh or or Fed activity is one scenario. I don't honestly see that, but it is it is a scenario. the other is is global volatility and we don't talk a whole lot about this and it's something that's pretty much out of our control but but there's there's a uh, there's a lot of concern about global economies tanking. when that happens you often see a lot of a lot of foreign capital come into u s treasuries and the more foreign capital that comes into u s treasuries, the lower uh, or sorry, yeah the, the lower the yields get um, that actually could drive mortgage rates down further the 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 flip side of that is if if that money has to stay in the, the foreign economies and there's less activity uh, trading up the the cost of the bonds, we could see yields um, actually increase and and if that happens, you wind up with mortgage rates going up but but i I really do think. There's much more likelihood that we see rates peak and and start to gradually work their way back down, uh, than than there is a, an opportunity for the rates to go back up uh, to the the sevens or or even worse the eights. I, I I I do look there. There are people that are are saying interest rates are going to go up beyond eight. There are also people saying the housing market is going to crash and we're going to see twenty to thirty percent price declines. And I, I tend to think those people are trying to sell something and, and probably not something you want to buy. I, I, I actually got I got a Facebook message from one of my mother's dear friends yesterday. and This is not up. I'm not making this up. She actually sent me a message asking if the housing market was going to crash today. So <laughs> somebody actually picked a date for the housing market to crash and was all over the Internet, apparently. And it's just, uh, you know, it, we if you're if you're involved in real estate investing, if you're looking to buy a house to live in, you have to look at things more rationally, more logically, uh, and candidly, with a longer-term view. Uh, because you know, it, it it market market conditions can can be very volatile day to day, but but over time, the housing market tends to recover and do very very well.
1: Well, thank you for explaining that. I think that you know, I keep coming back to those two scenarios where. On one hand, the inflation improves, the Fed stops raising rates as quickly as possible. That brings mortgage rates down. On the other hand, the Fed keeps raising rates, but that causes a recession, which lowers bond yields generally. And that also brings mortgage rates down. So that's why, to me, I just keep, I'm sort of in your camp where I just don't see this crash scenario because. Most of the paths and there's a lot of uncertainty, but most of the different scenarios that can unfold result at least in a stabilization of mortgage rates, if not a falling of mortgage rates. And I know that it's like scary because we did see this like doubling, as you said, of mortgage rates. But there is now the strong potential that it's going to at least stabilize a little bit.
5: You know, Dave, I, th- I think people have to realize we're looking at a really unusual set of circumstances the, the Fed was worried for the last, gosh, five or six years that inflation wasn't high enough. They, they were having, they, they had a target rate of 2% inflation. And that was because everything in the economy was working. Um, I mean, everything in the economy was working. And then somebody bit into a bat in China. And, and the next thing we knew, uh, the world had changed. And the government made a, a couple decisions that Initially looked like they were good decisions, but turned out to be not great decisions from an economic standpoint. In that we, we really overstimulated the economy dramatically. Uh, one of, one of my friends who's an economist said the government took a three trillion dollar hole and tried to stuff fifteen trillion dollars into it. So we increased the we increased the monetary supply by fifty percent. And for those of you who don't follow economics, like you know you follow baseball players in the, in the back of their baseball cards. Over overstuffing the monetary supply leads to inflation. And you have to kind of work your way down from that. Um, the other issue is we overstimulated consumers. So everybody in the in the country seemed to get a stimulus check. Uh, it, it, unpo- unemployment benefits were enhanced um, dramatically, uh, led to labor shortages, which led to wage growth, and wage growth leads to inflation. And then we had supply chain disruptions because of COVID, uh, which, which led to a supply and demand imbalance. So prices on everything went up. And and I don't and, and and Chairman Powell, the Fed has been very, very uh transparent in saying we underestimated inflation. We we missed it, we whiffed. So you had this once in a, a generation, hopefully, uh pandemic that screwed up the economy. The government overreacted to it, blew way too much stimulus into the economy, which always leads to inflation, and the Fed came on board to try and, and slow things down too late, so they had to be overly aggressive. We again, we've never seen mortgage rates double in a year, never. Uh, and and if things had not changed because of this unusual set of circumstances, we wouldn't have seen mortgage rates go up to seven percent. They they would have gone up from these historically low levels because that was part of the Fed's stimulus to make sure that the, that the housing market um, stayed stable and the economy stayed stable. Uh, but but it, we're we're dealing with unusual circumstances. That led to unusual spikes in mortgage rates. And really the rest of the economy is still functioning pretty well. So even if we do wind up with a recession next year, and I, I think it's probably likely that the Fed will will have already overcorrected and we're going to wind up in one, it it should still be a fairly short, fairly mild recession uh, and, and and shouldn't have a, a long-term or or terribly negative impact on the on the housing market.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a great point because I wanted to talk about sort of the state of the American consumer or homeowner. Uh, you have a lot of expertise in foreclosures uh, and, and that side of the business, and from what I see, despite home prices coming down and some high-profile layoffs, you know, with big well-known companies, it does seem like, generally speaking. American consumers are in a pretty decent position, and homeowners in particular are still paying their mortgages. Is is that correct? Are you seeing anything different?
5: Yeah, no, you're you're spot on. Um, out, we we recently did a report on homeowner equity uh, at at Adam, and first of all, there's still a record amount of homeowner equity out there twenty nine trillion dollars, uh, nothing like that we've ever seen, and that's on a housing stock that's valued at about forty one trillion. So if you look at the debt load. That people are carrying it's it's actually really really low as a percentage of 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 uh, the, the value of their of their properties. Uh, we we found out that about half of homeowners are what we call equity rich, which means they're they're they owe less than half of the value of their home on their mortgage. And and interestingly, ninety three percent of borrowers who are currently in foreclosure actually have positive equity, which is completely the opposite of where we were back during the, the great financial crisis when a third of all homeowners were underwater and just about everybody in foreclosure was upside down. So even if we did have people in foreclosure, they, they have the opportunity to create a soft landing. So if they were in, in a short-term financial, uh, a short-term position of financial distress, conceivably they could even refinance their loan with their lender if, they, if they've now kind of recovered. But even if they can't, they have the opportunity to sell their home because as as we talked about earlier, there's still demand. If you put a property on the market priced correctly uh, you'll you'll be able to sell it. Um, but we don't have a foreclosure problem right now the, uh, the 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 normal level of foreclosure activity historically is about one percent of loans uh, so that would be in today's market about five hundred and fifty thousand homes in some stage of foreclosure. Uh, Instead, we have about 260,000. So we're we're running at about half of historically normal levels of foreclosure activity, and we're running at about 60% of where we were prior to the pandemic. So even though foreclosure numbers have been gradually edging up this year, we probably don't get back to normal levels based on current rates of activity until sometime in mid to late 2023. And that, so keep in mind, we could double the amount of foreclosures we have right now, and that would get us back to normal. Uh, and and the loan quality over the last decade has been extraordinary. Lenders have taken on very little risk. Uh, borrowers have been highly qualified, and and to your point, Dave, they they continue to make their payments on time, even if they're underwater. And I think I think that's an important thing for people to keep in mind because I've been fielding this question a lot lately. Just because a borrower goes underwater does not mean they go into foreclosure, uh, that the two are only marginally connected. And just to give you a data point, uh, about 6% of homeowners today across the country are underwater on their loans. And I just mentioned a half a percent of borrowers are in foreclosure. That means the rest of those people are making their payments on time. And some of them have been underwater since the great recession uh, and in markets that really never fully recovered, but, but they continue to make their payments because at some point, They'll be in positive territory. And honestly, in a lot of cases, it's cheaper for them to keep making their mortgage payments than it would be for them to mail the keys to the bank and try and find a place to rent. So those two aren't really connected. Now, if you're underwater on your loan and you wind up in foreclosure, it's much, much harder to resolve that successfully. But being underwater is not what drives people into foreclosure. That's still some sort of household financial catastrophe, a job loss, income loss, death in the family, divorce, unexpected medical bills, something like that is what sends people into foreclosure. You will start to read headlines, uh, I promise you, about the the looming threat of more and more borrowers being underwater as home prices flatline or go down. And, and I, I had to walk a reporter off the ledge yesterday because of a report she read that she thought said 8% of borrowers were now suddenly underwater. And what it said was 8% of borrowers who took out loans in the last year with very low down payments, who lived in markets where prices went down were now underwater. And I was like, that's a fraction of a percent of borrowers, but the headlines will, will warn you that this looming crisis of underwater loans is, is about to overtake us. And it just, sometimes it drives me nuts, but I, I guess it keeps me busy and that keeps me employed. So it's not a bad thing.
3: Rick, I appreciate the, uh, the information. And, and I, I- Couldn't agree with you more with respect to, you know, the foreclosure situation and where we are just, you know, nationally with respect to equity and if there truly is a vulnerability there. And I I agree. I I don't believe that there that there really is. I think, of course, sensationalism will always sell uh, or or attract eyeballs. And so we're going to see that always. But. As a real estate investor and for the bigger pockets community that that love hearing your insights dave insights and and my jokes i wanna, un, I want to understand uh, where the opportunity lies because here's here 's the fact for me right i 'm a, I'm a cash buyer I, I predominantly wholesale but i 'm starting to hold property because what i 've seen is that there is fatigue out there sellers right now who have a situation who who have to sell not not your not your person who just wants to upgrade or um, you know move because they 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 no longer like their the size of their living room or you know just not just cosmetic things but like real reasons to sell there 's fatigue in the market and i 've been able to really take advantage of that fatigue and and buy things for instance, I was just you know telling Dave the other day there 's a, a property. Um, you know, in my neighborhood, it's a you know two million dollar plus neighborhood. This house was just appraised in July at a a million five, and I I'll, I'm going to be closing on it in a couple days uh, at at one at eight hundred and one at nine fifty, and and I I'm buying two in my in my neighborhood with the same situation, right? And so, I'm finding that fatigue, and I'm taking advantage of that because I'm a real estate investor, and this is what we do, and all that equity that you described that. Homeowners are sitting on. They're willing to trade that to release that fatigue to be able to get out of the situation. Uh, that's an, that is one opportunity that I'm seeing. Are you? Do you see other opportunities that us as real estate investors can look at and 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 pounce on in order to have a, a better footing going into 2020, the end of 2023 into 2024.
5: So I want to congratulate you for being responsible for the headlines people are going to see about home prices declining. So good, good job, Dave and, and Jamil. Um, <laughs> no, th- there are there are opportunities out there. This this is the best time of the year to be buying, uh, typically, because um, there's less demand in the marketplace, so you have less competition for for the assets that become available, um, and and homeowners typically are a little bit more willing to negotiate this time of year. <clears throat> because of because of that lack of, of competition, so just in general, uh, somewhere between um, late November and mid January, in most parts of the country, are, are the best times to, to look for those those relative bargains. Uh, second, if, if somebody's selling right now, you have to ask yourself why they're selling and if they have to sell. Uh, so you're, you're doing exactly the right thing. I personally. Uh, I think one of the reasons inventory levels will stay low for most of 2023 is because people who don't have to sell aren't going to sell. Uh, They're perfectly happy to sit there with their three and a half percent mortgage and not trade it into a declining market uh, for a more expensive house with a seven percent mortgage. Uh, They they just if they don't have to do that, they're not going to do that. So if you do see somebody selling, it, it, it at least begs the question of, is this a forced sale? Do they have to sell? And if so, you know, there, there's some negotiating leverage there. So I, I do think that that makes some sense. Uh, you want to keep following pricing trends. Uh, I, we're, we're looking at probably a a 5% price decline nationally in, in home prices. Uh, Fannie Mae's projecting next year prices will go down January through December about a point and a half. Um, and and it, it's going to be a very localized correction. So you have to pay attention to local market activity. Uh, for example, California prices will probably go down on average about <clears> ten percent. <throat> the Bay Area right now we're seeing prices at some tiers go down twenty percent already. But if if you're in the southeastern states, you may not see prices go down at all because you're you're still seeing population growth and job growth. So prices may not be going up twenty percent a year, but they might still be going up two to three percent. So you have to look for those local market opportunities and figure what the right what the right mix is for you. And and again. If you're in a market with declining prices, you might be looking at buying a property to rent because you don't need to be worried about immediate home price appreciation. If you're looking at a market where prices are going up, maybe it's a better flipping opportunity because flippers really need price appreciation to make their numbers most of the time. Uh, The other opportunity, we mentioned that there aren't a ton of foreclosures, but if you're going to be playing in that market looking for opportunities, you have to change the, the model, uh, at least in your mind, from where we were during the last cycle. We mentioned how many borrowers were underwater on their loans last time. That meant that that they couldn't get rid of the property unless the, the bank agreed to a short sale. And there were a lot of them, but not many relative to the number of people in foreclosure. Um, a lot of the properties didn't sell at the auctions because the banks couldn't price them low enough for investors to to make the numbers work. So the banks wound up repossessing the majority of properties in foreclosure. And so it made sense an investor to to wait for the bank to repossess it, wait for the property to come back to market uh, and negotiate then for those bank-owned properties, those REOs. That's not happening this time. I mentioned that foreclosure activity overall is at about 60% of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, REO activity, uh, bank repossessions are are at about a 30 percent level of where we were prior to the pandemic. So what we're seeing is more foreclosure starts, but more people selling their homes in the early stage of foreclosure before the foreclosure auction. And the properties getting to the auctions are selling through at about a 70 percent rate, which is about twice the rate they usually sell through. So there's less properties getting to auction. There's fewer properties getting past the auction, going back to the lenders. And the FHA has this program uh, called CWCOT, more inside baseball stuff, uh, uh, cleared without conveyance, uh, conveyed without clearance of title. Uh, and any FHA property that doesn't sell at the auction is then assigned to an online auction company for a second chance sale. Uh, at which point they typically lower the prices a little bit. So if you're an investor waiting for for REOs, waiting for bank-owned properties, that's not where the opportunity is going to be this time. This time, you're going to have to find those borrowers in the early stage of foreclosure. And if you can't work out a deal with them before the auction, you need to be ready to go at the auction. And that's where somebody like Eugene comes in as a cash purchaser because most of those auctions require cash or a cashier's check. And and today's market, you're in a tremendous position of advantage, if you're a cash buyer, because everybody else is looking at six and a half, seven percent traditional mortgages and investor loans that have a you know ten to twelve percent handle on them right now. If you're getting bridge financing, so uh, there there are still opportunities out there, but you're you're going to have to do your diligence.
1: Well, thanks, Rick. That, that's super helpful. I think uh, that. There's a lot of fear out there again with headlines and uh, you, you offer a much more sober uh, opinion about what's happening and a really good analysis of where the opportunity lies. I do want to, you know, before we, we get out of here, I do want to ask you about something you mentioned when we were just uh, chatting before the show, which is that you at Adam, your the company you work for, uh, released a report about fix and flip activity. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've learned?
5: Yeah. Yeah. And and for anybody who's interested, we have a market insights section on our, our website where we post all these reports for free. So not even something you have to pay for. But we recently did release the, the fix and flip report that covered flips in the third quarter of of 2022. Um, th- this was a classic good news, bad news report, Dave. Uh, the, the good news is that there were over 92,000 flips in the quarter. Uh, which which is the third highest number on record, uh, and we've been, we've been looking at data for the last 22 years so that's that's a pretty pretty good number. the The bad news is it's the third consecutive quarter where that number has gone down. so the, the trend is for for fewer flips and the, the really bad news is that both gross profits and gross profit margins uh, have gone down and, and gross profits are simply the, the price the property sold for versus the price it was purchased for. And then margins are, are the percentage that, that 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 profit representative compared to the, the original purchase price. So that doesn't factor in things like material costs, labor, financing. And we, we know all those costs have gone up. So it's, um, you know, it, it's not an ideal market for flippers. Ideal markets have high demand, low supply and rapidly appreciating prices. Uh, and, and the cherry on the Sunday there is, is low finance rates. Uh, and we we've seen all of those conditions. We we still have demand, but it's weakened. Uh, prices have flatlined, or in some cases are declining. It's it's more expensive to finance, it takes longer to sell, uh, and and the material and labor costs, uh, along with financing costs, are all higher. So, if if you're in the fix and flip business, you really need to be good at math right now. Uh, you you need to be incredibly careful not to overpay for the property that you're buying. You have to be really, really uh, careful not to underestimate the, the cost of repairs, not to underestimate the length of time it's going to take you to move the property. And we're, by the way, we're not talking about markets where it's taking 60 or 90 days to sell a property when it's ready to go. Uh, we're still looking at at a couple of weeks in most markets, but that's up from a couple of days last year. So you do have to figure in those those carrying costs. Um, I, I, I don't want to pick on anybody, but you know, it, you you know it's a difficult market when you have a, a Zillow offers lose three hundred fifty two billion dollars in a quarter, and then Open Door makes that look like chump change by by losing a billion dollars, um, and and again those those aren't really fix and flip models; those are arbitrage models, uh, and but it just shows you what can happen if you get your pricing model wrong, and you do it at scale. Um, You make a mistake on one house, that's maybe, you know, thousands of dollars. You make the mistake on thousands of houses and that's hundreds of millions of dollars. So it just shows you that even, you know, even companies that you expect to be a little bit more professional, a little bit more uh, sophisticated in their models, um, make mistakes, make big, big, big mistakes. Uh, and, and wound up laying off a third of their staff because of those mistakes, um, so it just it just does go to show that that as a flipper, you really really need to have your pencil sharpened this cycle um, and and it 's a cautionary note for people that are just getting into this part of the business uh t- Timing a market can be difficult, but if if you pick the wrong time, buy at the top of the market and underestimate your repair costs you 're looking at a at a pretty nasty scenario for that that flip so uh, you know, it's, it's a good time to be engaged with somebody like Bigger Pockets, uh, where you can get a lot of the education. You can get a lot of the, uh, the, t- the tools and, and products you need to make sure you're doing the right thing. And, uh, certainly always be listening to on the market podcast because that's, that's where you get all the right information.
3: Rick, uh, thank you so much for that insight. I'm, I wanted to just dig in a little deeper because, you know, I, and from speaking my, from my own personal experience, I've. You know with a number of, of flips we got we got a dozen of them uh, that were that were going on and we saw that in the price point between you know seven hundred and fifty to a million and a half, demand was gone like we 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 had to write checks to exit those deals and and you know get them off the books. However, in the starter home you know that 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 first time home buyer price point those those properties are still trading and they're they're actually there's still a a great amount of demand when you guys were putting together that report did you find those differences and and is there is there a a subsection within the fix and flip market that people in the business might be able to focus on so that they could they could still weather this this storm out and and tread water and, and not lose their crews and and fold up until you know things start to come back
5: yes but before i go there le- let me throw out another scenario for you. And, and I know you do this, you mentioned it earlier, um, a a typical flipper, um, might have a hard time making the numbers pencil out these days, but there's an opportunity for rental properties. Uh, I think we mentioned earlier that about 10 to 20% of people who thought they were going to buy have decided to rent instead. You can make a logical argument that if they wanted to buy a house, they might prefer to rent a house rather than an apartment. Maybe, maybe they have, you know, needs for more room, whatever. Um, so there's an opportunity to there's still an opportunity for single family rental properties, uh, and, and I think that opportunity will continue to grow. Now, if you're a flipper, you may not have uh, processes and, and business procedures in place to become a, a rental property owner, but you can certainly identify those properties and maybe maybe become a wholesaler, uh, and and sell find those properties that are opportunities and sell them to to people that that want rental properties and make some profits doing that without the risk of buying. Repairing and holding that property, so so that's one opportunity. And I never paid you to say that,
3: by the way. Just no,
5: no, cares. I, I it, no, it, it's it's a re- it's a real world opportunity right now, and and there are some flippers who actually, uh, in the short term, uh, because their their volumes aren't huge, uh, become rental property owners uh, be, because you know the skills needed to to find, buy, and repair a house are the same. Now it's just a question of of, of being that landlord, uh, on a short-term basis, maybe even finding somebody to do that. But, but that said to your original question, um, I'm, I'm speaking in very broad general terms here, Jamil, but yeah, I, we are seeing the same thing that you're seeing in your market that at the higher end, um, Demand has dried up a little bit more significantly than at the entry level, uh, and and that's pretty much true across the country. There are probably a few outliers here and there, but but generally speaking, that 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 is what we're seeing. There's very little entry level inventory, uh, so if you find a property that you can you can bring back to market as a, a rehabbed repaired property, you're probably going to have good opportunity to sell it and sell it at a at a reasonable price. You also have more competition because that's where the bigger institutions are looking for rental properties that's where the single family rental smaller investors are looking for properties and obviously that's where first time buyers are looking for properties so it it's not easy to find those properties to 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 buy and fix but if if you're looking at a at a, a section of the market that's healthier than others that that entry level and i'd even say in, in a lot of markets going up to the mid tier you're still seeing a, a pretty fair amount of demand it's once you get into the upper mid tier and the the higher level properties that, that you're seeing. Uh, actually, you're seeing two problems. You're seeing market demand lessen, but you're also seeing the, the weakest prices in, in terms of appreciation at those higher levels. That's why places like San Francisco are seeing a, a more significant price decline than places like, I don't know, Des Moines, Iowa. Thank
3: you.
1: Rick, I think we could do this all day, but we do have to get out of here soon. Is there is there anything else you think our audience should know as we head into the new year um that we haven't covered yet that you think's important for, for them to keep
5: in mind? Gee, I don't know. We've talked about investment strategies, the economy, the housing market. I I guess my, my parting thought would be, you know, beware the hype. Um you're 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 going to read a lot of gloom and doom stuff. You probably have listeners who are are waiting and salivating uh, for for that you know market crash that the oh, yeah. the knuckleheads on YouTube are are, are breathlessly uh, promoting, uh, and and I would say don't wait. Timing the market is is almost impossible. Uh, if you do your math and the numbers pencil out, it's time to move forward. And that's true whether you're you're looking to fix and flip, buy a rental property, or or buy a house to 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 move into. Um, it's a it's an interesting scenario in that if you can find a property you can afford. That you're going to hold for a while, you can actually see a scenario where two years from now your monthly payments are lower than what they are today, and 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 that's not something you're likely to see if you're going to rent a property, uh, because your your rental price is going to go up pretty much every year. So, I do tell people that, uh, particularly people are going to hold a property for a period of time. That if you find something that, that the numbers work, uh, don't wait for the market to bottom out. Uh, you can live with. A little bit of short-term volatility. If prices go down two and a half, three, five percent, they're going to come back up. And historically, you go back the last hundred years of home prices. We've only had one time where the market fell twenty percent and stuck there for a while, and that was the Great Recession. But uh, home prices don't go up every year. But over time, uh, they've they've gone up uh, consistently, uh, you know, year year over year over year. So uh, don't believe the hype. uh, Don't panic. but, but be be as careful as as you possibly can before you make those decisions. Uh, don't overthink it, but make sure you do that math and check it twice. All right. Well,
1: thank you, Rick. We appreciate those parting words and and definitely agree. People should be read at least read the whole article, right? Like there's so many times where it's just like people react and say to the headline. and it's like, well, did you read the rest of the article? it It wasn't that bad. Uh, so great, great, sober uh, advice there. We appreciate it, Rick. Rick Sharga is the executive vice president of market intelligence at Adam data. Rick, if people want to connect with you, where should they do that?
5: So you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, Rick Sharga, either, either one's pretty easy. If you, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, make sure you mention, uh, on the market or, or Jamil and Dave so that I I know you're not one of the crazy people on LinkedIn (laughs) reaching out under alias. Um, (laughs) You can also find, I mentioned adamdata.com. Uh, we, we have a market insights section. Uh, we're all, all over social media, but we publish reports on all aspects of the housing market that are free uh, every week. Um, so so feel free to follow us there. And, uh, and I look forward to connecting with a lot of you.
1: All right. Thanks again, Rick. We'll have to have you back uh, in six months. You said the second half of 2023 might be very different. So- We'll always have you back at these uh, pivot points for the housing market if you're if you're willing to join us again
5: always enjoy the conversation guys anytime
3: well you heard it guys Rick said be a wholesaler in the new year what do you think Dave
1: <laughs> I can <laughs> attest that at least off air, I haven't seen Jamil pay Rick to say that. No, at least, yeah, <laughs> he might have done it privately.
3: It, it's, a, it's a real thing. I think there's amazing opportunities, and especially if you guys are looking at strategy for 2023, uh, really consider it and, and have conversations with folks in the forums. Talk to people on bigger pockets and really, really get your minds right, understand underwriting and figure out the numbers. Like Rick said, sharpen the pencil and you will succeed.
1: I love that this is our first show for the new year because I just think Rick provides really good information that's not like overly rosy, but he does point out that there is opportunities and that a lot of the things that you're reading are mostly fear-based and not actually fact-based. So if you are looking to grow your portfolio or get into real estate for the first time in 2023, hopefully you got a lot of good lessons from what Jamil and Rick have shared with you today. It feels weird because we're recording this in the middle of December, but I guess happy new year to everyone listening. We really appreciate you. We're going to have a very good year. We have a lot lined up for you on, on the market. We appreciate all of you listening and best of luck to all of you in your real estate investing and economic situations in 2023. Jamil, where should people find you?
3: You can find me on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Jamil Damji. Check me out on IG as well. I kind of feel like, you you, you know, Rick, it makes sense that he's on LinkedIn and Twitter and I'm on Instagram and TikTok.
1: Yeah, yeah, that does. That tracks. It's on brand for
3: sure. (laughs) Happy New Year, guys absolutely and we do
1: also have a youtube channel for on the market and bigger pockets you can check those out if you want to hear more from me or jamil or any of the other of the on the market panelists for everyone else on on the market for james kathy and henry who cannot be here today happy new year and thanks for listening on the market is created by me dave meyer and kaylin bennett produced by kaylin bennett Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media, research by Pooja Jindal, and a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies.